Welcome to the High at Nine News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness, and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change with your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at nine with us. Oh, yeah. Good morning, everybody. It's hump day. That's right. It's Wednesday, May 17th. And today is National Graduation Tassel Day, National Idaho Day, World Telecommunication and Information Society Day. That's for for all your kids right there, Mandy. National Walnut Day, Emergency Medical Services for Children Day because... Children often need emergency services. National Cherry Cobbler Day. That's for you, Gretchen. And it's World Hypertension Day and National Pack Rat Day for all those pack rats out there that just can't throw anything away. Thank you for joining us and getting high at nine with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. Use that fancy little QR code right there in the top hand corner of your screen to see where we live at the internet on the internet. And we're live every Monday through Friday on YouTube and audio only on Clubhouse. And if you are joining us in Clubhouse, you can also participate in the show if you have a comment on the story most recently presented. Oh, looks looks like we're going to start off with the feisty, redheaded conservative Gretchen Gailey, who loves to tell pot loving libs all about themselves and reprimand them when they just can't get their stuff together. That's right. She's the founder of Panoptic Strategies and our very own little Washington insider. That's right. It is Gretchen Gailey. <laughs> Jason Beck, one of these days, God is going to strike you down for calling me little. I mean, God, it's God gonna happen me all the time. I'm disabled, so it just is. Okay. Well, anyway, my story, and I wish St. Germain were here. If he's out there listening, please join in, because uh, I picked this especially for him. He was in my thoughts this morning when I saw this. Salem, Massachusetts lawmakers vote to decriminalize psilocybin mushrooms. Salem, Massachusetts lawmakers have approved a resolution to decriminalize psilocybin mushrooms. Members of the city council voted unanimously on Thursday to pass an activist-led measure, making it the local government's official policy to deprioritize enforcement of laws prohibiting the possession and cultivation of psilocybin. This is the latest Massachusetts city to enact some form of psychedelics decriminalization as the national reform movement continues to expand, though it is the only one to focus on psilocybin alone. Other cities that have taken broader psychedelic actions include Somerville, Cambridge, East Hampton, and Northampton. The resolution notes that psilocybin has significant therapeutic potential for the treatment of mental health conditions such as post-traumatic stress disorder and addiction. And it says that criminalization as a policy has failed, contributing to mass incarceration and racial disparities in the criminal legal system. 
The local measure doesn't remove criminal penalties for the substance, but it states that the arrest or adu of adult persons for using or possessing psilocybin-containing fungi, as well as the investigation and arrest of adult persons for cultivating, purchasing, transporting, distributing, engaging in practices with, and or possessing psilocybin-containing fungi, should be amongst the lowest law enforcement priority for the city of Salem. The resolution says that no city of Salem Department Agency Board Commission officer or employee of the city should use city funds or resources to assist in the enforcement of laws, imposing criminal penalties for the use and possession of psilocybin-containing fungi by adults. It further calls on the Essex County Direct District Attorney to deprioritize the prosecution of persons involved in but not limited to psychedelic-assisted therapeutic services, possession, sharing, or cultivation of psilocybin-containing fungi, and the use or possession without the intent to distribute, and request that the mayor direct city staff to work with the city, state, and federal partners in support of decriminalizing all psilocybin-continued fungi. The advocacy group based Staters for Natural Medicine worked on the legislation. Activists with the organization have led the local reform effort in various cities as it continues to promote statewide psychedelic reform. Councilmember Alice Rose Merkel said at last week's hearing that psilocybin isn't just another option for treatment, that this is very promising and there's great potential here. Councilmember Andrew Varela added that it's really smart of the city of Salem to focus on one thing, and that would be psilocybin containing fungi. I think that this could be a model for other communities. This could be a model that we start small and we start with something that has a great impact like psilocybin. I look forward to maybe seeing some more changes within the Commonwealth when it comes to these substances. Bay Staters for Natural Medicine said that Salem's chief of police, Lucas Miller, also backed the local reform. The indications that psilocybin could be helpful for opiate addiction is something that should not be ignored. He said, uh, quoting an old press release from the group, we lose about 20 people a year in Salem to opioid overdoses. At the state level, a Republican lawmaker recently filed three psychedelic reform bills, including proposals to legalize substances like psilocybin and reschedule MDMA, pending federal approval while setting a price cap on therapeutic access. There are several other pieces of psychedelic legislation that have been introduced in Massachusetts for this session by other legislators, including separate measures to legalize certain entheogenic substances for adults. Another bill would authorize the Department of Public Health to conduct a comprehensive study into the potential therapeutic effects of synthetic psychedelics like MDMA. Representative Mike Connolly also filed a bill in 2021 that received a Joint Judiciary Committee hearing on studying the implications of legalizing entheogenic substances like psil psilocybin and ayahuasca. I'm very excited by this because my ancestors, my good witches, came through Salem and they were on trial there. And there is some uh, historic references that perhaps these ladies were doing a little something else. And that's what uh, provided the hallucin hallucinations uh, that might have caused the Salem witch trials. So it's all coming full circle in Salem. And I love to see that. I love to see the stigma being broken and psychedelics actually being used for therapeutic purposes uh, that it could be. This is Gretchen for Hyatt 9 News. So you're saying this is a witch hunt? No, it's free the witches. All right, so are you a certified witch? I am. I am a official member of the direct descendants of colonial witches. Thank you very much. Colonial witches. So, it's a thing. So, so you're is that a real organization? I want to learn more. It is a real organization. So, so yes. you said they should be focusing on you and not. The yes. Yes. Always focus on me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's happening around the country a lot.
So, Greg, uh, it's a recognition that the uh, the war on drugs is an unmitigated failure, and that these hallucinogens should never been put in Schedule One back when Nixon did it in the nineteen seventy Act. And never. but this is rolls out slowly, and then attorneys have to deal with the aftermath because it's still illegal if you get caught, even though it's a low priority, you still get arrested, mm -hmm. you can be prosecuted, and the feds can still walk in and go, yeah, that's all cool, but you know this is a Schedule One drug. We've got a place for you in federal prison. I mean, man. So, so, so you named your dog Salem. Okay. Yes. Coming out of Salem. Ha have you noticed? Rich. Yes. Okay. Just want everyone to notice all these different similarities. Okay. And, but it is called fun guy, not fun girls. So I wonder. <laughs> oh my God. That's a stretch, man. That's oh, a stretch. Lord, oh. Lord almighty. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so listen, the psychedelic movement that's happening in the United States and around the globe right now is very important. And while this show primarily focuses most of the time on cannabis, the fact that we have this emerging market paralleling us is something that we all ought to be paying attention to. We all ought to be demanding more research, period, of all of these different plants and how they interface with our bodies. We, they have... They have interfaced with our bodies for generations before us. And hopefully our kids and our kids' kids will never have to um, do without such potentially potent productive medicines for them. I mean, it's a cultural thing. I mean, our culture lost um, entheogenic plants uh, when we came to the New World and they actually burned witches. Because I don't think it's a stretch to understand that some of these plants were being used from northern European cultures. But even going back to Mediterranean culture, it's one of the oldest um, plants, substances used for thousands and thousands of years. It's unfortunate women got the, the bad rap um, for being witches for introducing this. But the evidence is clear going back in the 50s. The research is already there. It just scared the shit out of the federal government. And Timothy Leary scared the shit out of the federal government. So here we are. And this is better as an antidepressant than anything they have on the market for mild to moderate depression. Mm -hmm. There's nothing else compares to it. And people recognize that. And you just have to ask, if I'm taking all these goddamn pills and they're causing weight gain and all this other stuff going on to you, and I can take, you know, a little part of a plant every morning and microdose and feel wonderful, what in the fuck is the problem with that? And it's not even feel wonderful. I mean, it is feel wonderful, but it's it's like it just kind of lightly pulls you out of the mental funk that you're in or stuck in, because that's a lot of what happens with depression. You get mentally stuck in this like vortex of hopelessness, right? And psilocybin really, and even LSD really helps pull you up out of that, even in the most micro microscopic doses. Um, it's just potent medicine and we're messing around with people's psychology with all of these different pharmaceutical medications that have thousands of side effects. And oftentimes the biggest complaint that people who are taking SSRIs or any sort of, you know, um, psychoactive active medication, their biggest complaint is I don't feel anymore. I don't have any feelings. Sorry. Of course the dogs just bark. Um, and that's one of the biggest deterrents for people to take pharma medication is that they truly don't feel anything anymore. And so they're, they go from feeling these extremes to feeling nothing. And that feels equally as bad. So, um, the, the psilocybin, the LSD, all of these different psychoactive compounds that we're learning so much about need to be freed. They absolutely have to be a good answer. 
So, Gretchen, are you more likely to try mushrooms now, now with this? Because Salem, everything? <laughs> It'll bring you I, closer to your witch. Closer to my roots. Yes. Um, I, I am happy to give mushrooms a try in a controlled place with people that I trust. So if St. Germain wants to help me uh, on yeah. this uh, endeavor, I'm more than happy to do it with him. Oh, oh boy. Uh, am I going to do it with yeah. you, Jason Beck? Absolutely not. No. I'm going to be there. No, 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 no. I'm gonna do it with me, Gretchen. We'll, we'll, you'll have the best time. Watch it, not do a damn thing. It probably sucks. You know, I actually have a girlfriend who doesn't work on me. Like over an ounce of mushrooms and didn't even phase her. She also did three doses of ayahuasca on one trip and it didn't phase her at all. The people who are putting the trip on are like, how is this even possible? We need to protect this woman at all costs. Gretchen, did you try the 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 micro doses that you got? Oh, I got him. I got things sitting right here on my desk. They're yeah. ready to go. You got All right. When are you going to try those? I don't know. Well, I don't have to. I got to work for a living, Jason. Do it now. Do it now. Yeah. Try yeah, it. Just, just go now. Yeah. Let's no, just. Gretchen, you, 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 can't, you can't call shaman without men. That's right. Oh, please. All right. <laughs> true. Oh, so true, Rico. That's right. We're going to go to the most Move right along. Now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what time it is. That's right. It's Tuesday over here at Green Street, and we got Smoky Vanilla with us in the building. So that's right. It is time to stretch and smoke. We just got done smoking. Now we're going to stretch it out, and then we're going to smoke again. Let's go. I'm Smoky Vanilla with my background in kinesiology and bodywork massage and assisted stretching. You got to come check it out, baby. Check me out on IG at Smoky Vanilla One Stretch and Smoke, Twitter Smoky Vanilla, Social Club Stretch and Smoke, or also on Sports Recovery by Dan and Jam. If you want to feel as good as I look, then make sure that you get a stretch and smoke in with Smoky Vanilla. Yeet! Y'all know who it is up next. He is West Hollywood's cannabis tourism president. And also the best looking and best feeling man after a session with Smokey Vanilla. <laughs> Coming to the stage. Yeah, and you know it. Y'all know who it is. <laughs> Jason Beck. Not even just after a session, Rico is just in general. Yes. But nonetheless. My story, as promised, I told you we got an original story for Hyatt Nine News coming out of Florida for you guys today. I got two days in a row talking about Florida, but back in 2017, the Florida legislature filed the implementation bill of Amendment 2, which opened the Florida medical market. One of the benchmarks of that law was to create a process to offer one minority dispensary license to a member of the Pigford class. A seminal lawsuit brought by black farmers against the U.S. Department of Agriculture over loan denials that was settled back in 1999. Due to several legal challenges, the process was delayed along with 22 other licenses scheduled to be awarded over the next five years. And finally, the applicants for the Pigford class were due in March of 2022. 
The scoring was complete in September of September 21st, but awarded to the second highest scoring application because the DOH did not allow rights of survivorship to the family of the Pigford applicant. Mountain Hopkins, 84, who died during that period. Hopkins owned 51% of the Hatchet Creek Farms, the filing entity. Instead, the license was tentatively awarded to the Gwynn brothers, who intended on selling it. The Hopkins family filed the lawsuit, which lost uh, in the lower courts, then appealed to the higher court. The, the other 10 applicants filed briefs challenging the award, including those who not only scored poorly, but in some cases didn't meet any of the qualifications. Senator Daryl Rousen filed a bill to correct this, which died in committee, so he filed it as an amendment to a telehealth bill. Rousen filed his amendment to the House bill when it got to the Senate in the last hours of the session, and it passed the legislature and awaits the governor's signature. The bill is HB 387, requires the health department to issue licenses to black farmers whose applications did not have any identified deficiencies, regardless of what scores they received. It also requires the department to award licenses to applicants whose applications were deemed to have met all requirements for licensure by an administrative law judge and gives applications or gives applications which were found deficient a 90-day cure period to address those problems. In a quote, it's shameful that that it, the black farmer license, was not issued six years ago when it was directed to be issued, Rouston said in a phone interview. The question now is whether the governor vetoes the bill which prevents the awarding of the licenses to failed minority applicants who dealt with disparities, definitely woke in DeSantis ideology, and kills telehealth for the recertification of medical cards or whether it gets held up in court if DeSantis signs it into law. The, the community, in a quote, the community should be allowed to share in the beneficial use of marijuana and engage in this industry, Rouston told uh, News Service of Florida. In a quote, he also says, I'm interested in standing with the governor for the signing of this significant and historic legislation. However, DeSantis has not said whether or not he will sign the measure, but uh, we shall wait and see and see what happens. And this is Jason Beck reporting on the licenses in Florida. For the high at nine news hour. What do you have to say, Rico? I know you got something to say about this one. You know, I gotta say about this shit. Uh -huh. um, I wish we had uh, uh I wish we had uh, Roz on today. She could speak directly about this because she was uh, directly involved in um, one of the folks from M4MM was directly involved uh with this whole case. Um it's, it's been a shit show from the from the jump, and it's just more of the same black folks being pushed to the back of the line after being promised some sort of retribution for what was done in the past. What What do you think about them saying that we're not we, that they shouldn't just give out one license that they should give out license to everyone that applied and 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 met all the criteria? Um, like uh, on the team or um, like overall? Overall, basically, let's just say eleven people signed up and they didn't have any deficiencies in their application. Should they be awarded the license? That's what. The senator is advocating for the actual uh, Pigford license or the actual licenses at large. 
Well, it would be the black farmer license. So, I mean, the black farmer license is the same as any of the of the super super uh, super licenses. It's the are same. All, are all the licenses are the licensees or applicants are they all going to be black? Bro, you're you're asking me questions that I don't know. Okay. Are all we right. talking? About, are we talking Black Lives Matter? Are we talking? There should all be. There should be. I don't care what color you are. There should be no limited licensing. I'm sorry, oh, but all that does is run. create problems in this industry. It keeps people problems were created from, by white people in charge. Love, love, let, let me finish, Rico. If we actually it's, depended it's upon all lives the, matter versus Black Lives Matter, I'm sorry, Rico. Do you want to hear what I have to say or not? I think it's an, an intention and an, an agenda thing. I don't. I really think that this doesn't have so much to do with color, Rico. It is fucked up. I'm super sorry. It is messed up. It all started with cover that the color that's the whole Pigford argument is that these folks were wronged and they should have had precedence. Excuse me, they should have had priority when it comes to licensing and they didn't. And they were just like sitting there waiting, waiting, waiting. And now you're going to be lumped in with everybody else. That's not what was promised. This, this is the whole argument. I mean, I'm not going to go too deep because I'm going to go deeper on with my story on social equity. This is why reparations should be paramount and we shouldn't be talking about like issues like this because it's not going to happen. Like I know Gretchen, you're gonna say it's not going to happen. Like, yeah, it's not going to happen, but it should happen. Yes, it should happen because of wrongs that were done in the past. And if you tell people that you are going to do them right because you did wrong by them in the past, you should do right by them. We uh, stop. It Gre should be done first. Gre Gretchen, I, Gretchen, I do want to hear what you have to say. And then after that, we're going to go to Gary and clubhouse. All I'm simply suggesting is that if we actually had a free market, no limited licensing, you wouldn't run into the issues that you are with all these social equity licenses when it comes to the legal issues later on that is bound to come down the pike for everyone. Uh, we need to let this run as a free market and let the market weed out the good players, the, the, good, the good actors, the businesses who actually can survive. Free market does not exist. It's for sale. Oh boy, here we go. Here, here. Does anyone know? Does anyone know? Um, I, I, I literally have no idea what the answer is to this question. But tobacco farmers are they? Do they have caps on how much they can grow? Um, all right, we, we we got Gary from the Clubhouse audience to 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 talk about this. He's he's one of our residents in Florida that has deep deep knowledge into this. Gary, are you with us? Oh, you just disappeared. Where'd you go, Gary? <laughs> Come on, Gary. Son of a biscuit. Oh, geez, Louise. I do not know the answer to that question. Uh, that's a Google question, uh, Mandy. All right. I'm Googling. Gary, are you back with us, Gary? It's more powerful. Gary, yes, are, are you hear you, me now? All right, Gary. All yes, right. we can hear you now, Gary. All right, great. Yeah, the whole situation was, of course, I complained at the, at the very beginning that this whole situation of picking out one license to for a Pigford applicant was not so much equity as it was tokenism because it was only giving out one minority license to the entire state, which made no sense. But now they're also saying that anybody is saying that anybody who uh, applied automatically should get a license, whether they were qualified or not, because they screwed up the process again, which actually happened in 2014 when they originally had the licenses given out for low THC and eventually ended up giving out licenses to everybody who applied, of which 80% actually sold off their licenses. Now, to, to what Rico was saying with regards to, well, everybody who uh, <clears throat> gets a license 
will they be a minority? Well, they'll get the license, but some of them are already saying if they get it, they will automatically sell it, and they don't have to sell it to a minority. But 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 is is is, is all the people that applied are they all minorities? They are. They were all members of the Pigford class. And the problem with the Pigford class, of course, is that lawsuit was in 1989. So the average age of those people are in their 80s, and one lady was actually 90 years old. Yeah, and the guy that and the guy that was at the at the, at the forefront of uh, of this issue, he died before they yeah, got a license. Hopkins died. Yep. His, his his son, who was a footballer in Canada, actually mm-hmm. grandson, is the main cultivator. But they wouldn't give it to his family because they said that they were members were not members of the Bigford class. They were just family of the Bigford class. Right. And that's why they, that's why they didn't give it to him. That's why they went, they went to court, and they're still fighting it in court. Yep. Interesting. Yep, and and, and uh, thank you for your insight on that on that Gary. And um, this is what I'm saying, man. Like, keep on pushing it back, pushing it back, pushing it back, and we don't get ten cents for the dollar that we were promised. <laughs> very much, very much. So we're gonna go to a commercial after that. We're gonna be right back. Oh wait, no, we don't have. Keeping up to date on the evolving policies of relevant state, local, and federal governments is key to success. When the future of your business is at stake, you need representation as dedicated as you are. With a maze of laws and regulations surrounding cannabis, hemp, and psychedelics, knowing where to begin can be a challenge. Good thing the law offices of Omar Figueroa features a skilled, highly focused team ready to guide you through it all. They're accepting new clients in California and New York. So make sure you check them out at info at omarfigueroa.com. Oh, yeah. Coming up next, he, he, he finally made it with us. That's right. It's the dope dad himself, Rico Lamite, the babysitter of Baby Yoda. Oh, yeah. And Baby Zozo. <laughs> do, do, they, do, do they play nice together, Rico? That's what we all really want to know. Does Zozo enjoy her playtime with Baby Yoda? It is the dope dad himself. That's right. It's Rico Lamite. You know, without getting into uh, how exactly nerdy that I am, just know that the answer to that question is complicated. Talk about it. <laughs> oh boy, she has her own. She has her own uh, Star Wars toys that are not mine. She's maybe, not allowed to touch mine. Maybe Yoda doesn't like to share his lightsaber, huh? That was an uh, inappropriate question. <laughs> the way my my mind works, so I'm um, I'm gonna oh, ignore boy, it. And here we go. go. <laughs> Keep on moving forward. All right, but either way. Uh, yeah, right. That's what, like I said, but keep it moving forward. Uh, social equity. Let's talk about that. You know, we're very, very spicy already today. And uh, just so everybody else uh, knows out there, there's no right or wrong answers to any of the stuff that we discuss and debate on the show. There's no animosity between me, Jason, or Gretchen or anything like that. It's always all love. But these are heated debates and issues that come up within our community. And um, they need to be discussed. They need to be hashed out. They need to be argued um, so we can move forward. So this is this is what coming together in the middle in the cannabis industry is all about. So I got nothing but love for Gretchen and Jason. I know every time we get into these conversations, my text messages uh, just light up like, oh, you can't let them fucking say that. Like, nah, man, it's, it's, it's love. All right. So <laughs> social equity. It's an emotional hot topic button we often cover here at High Nine News for a variety of reasons, although we all have differing opinions. Uh, with what social equity should ultimately look like, we all agree to some extent government writing of its own admitted wrongs is necessary. Wrongs forced on the people, 
and communities who bore the brunt of the illegal and racist war on drugs is a necessity. Personally, I believe wholeheartedly in the philosophy behind social equity and cannabis and think none of us should be in a position to profit off a plant in a country that so blatantly has for generations and continues to currently put men and women behind bars. But thanks to capitalism, here we are. Taking it a step further, the fact black and brown neighborhoods were so heavily policed and took on such disproportionate enforcement ramifications later revealed as parts of a broad systemic attack levied upon them by their own government. U.S. government programming designed to dismantle communities of color by pumping drugs into and strategically asserting control, all a result of racist policies pushed upon the masses to further divide underclasses that to make us care more about race than economics. What are we talking about again here? Uh, yeah, Oregon. Oregon social oh, yeah. equity. Uh, becoming one of the first four and a half states to legalize adult use cannabis. I say four and a half because Washington, D.C. is in the mix there. In, in another conversation there. Uh, back in 2014, Oregon became one of the first states to legalize beyond medical use in wake of the coal memos issuance in 2013. Ten years later, it remains among the very few without some form of social equity. A recent audit of Oregon Liquor and Cannabis Commission recommends ending barriers that keep the state from spending cannabis tax funds to help people who have been disproportionately hurt by law enforcement. And the audit found that much of the disproportionate harm is race-based. Period. It's race-based. That debate over the inclusion of race-based language is slowing the deployment of social equity programs in the state. Oregon Democrat Rep uh, Representative Janelle Bynum told Axios that if we do not act soon, Oregon will miss the opportunity to right the wrongs of the war on drugs. Neighboring Washington um, just passed a law to add more shops, grows and processing operations with all licenses going to owners that meet equity criteria and other states have opted into reducing license fees and offer entrepreneurs grants qualifying applicants wishing to participate in plant touching cannabis economy. Qualifying criteria often includes past cannabis-related arrests or living in neighborhoods or belonging to a racial group proven to be disproportionately affected in the past. In Oregon, back in 2020, and then again in 2021, bills were proposed but did not advance that would have laid the groundwork for statewide equity programming. But per the article, this year, advocates are trying to direct cannabis tax revenue toward a nascent program intended to help long disadvantaged communities build wealth, even though the business in Oregon, the agency running it, does not work with the cannabis industry. Predictably, the bill is getting pushed back because it would use money currently allocated for drug rehabilitation. The OLCC plans to open public discussions on criteria this summer to develop a limited social equity program when it starts reissuing expired or suspended cannabis licenses. The OLCC surveyed a small fraction of active license holders three years ago, and surprise, surprise, they found 84% identified as white, 12 to 15% as Hispanic, Native American, or Asian, and 4% as Black. Axios did point out that at the city level, Portland uses cannabis taxes for grants to small entrepreneurs of color, including cannabis entrepreneurs, but nothing dedicated directly to cannabis specifically. It also discounts fees for small scale cannabis businesses that include women, minorities and people with past weed uh, related criminal convictions, in addition to using cannabis revenue dollars for community programs designed to support equity. The audit that we're talking about today is the same audit that led to Secretary of State 
Shamia Fagan to resign disgracefully after being outed for taking consulting fees to guide the same companies she was overseeing the audits for. All this leads to my question for everybody today. At this point in the game, millions of dollars have been spent and lost, wasted from state to state, and we've yet to see a successful social equity program follow through on its promises to do right on a broad scale for the communities negatively affected by the war on drugs. We have not seen any of the promised generational wealth, and now we're experiencing the industry's first true down market. Plenty of white-owned businesses are failing at the same rates as black and brown currently. Knowing this, should states who've been slow to adopt social equity programming like Oregon even bother with it? Or is it high time we shift the conversation of retribution for those affected in a more provocative yet directly reparative direction? I'm Rico Lamit, dopest dad on the street. Let's go, Jason and Gretchen. What you got? Well, first of all, I don't even think a social equity program would even make sense in Oregon due to the price of cannabis up there. Um, I don't think any if, if no one's making money in any market where the price of cannabis is actually at a decent, decent number. Oregon is the bottom of all of those numbers. And so how anyone would be able to be profitable in that type of environment is just totally, totally, totally beyond me. Well, and to Jason's point, I mean, didn't Oregon have fairly low barriers to entry to get a license? It wasn't that tricky, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. I, I think this is uh, this is why I am not a fan of social equity programs whatsoever. I think we need to look at opening things up for everyone. That is the fastest way to help minorities get in. It is not by providing some special programs on the side. It's legalization. It's pushing for actual fair practices. And I know you're going to say there's no fairness. The white guys have had all the breaks in life and yada yada. I get that. I understand that. However, if anybody can get a license, that's the closest you're getting to equity. Not setting aside one, two, five special. You guys get to go a year ahead of the other guys. doesn't matter. It's not going to work. It's not going to help. You want to open it up for minorities. You need to open up the entire market. Gretchen, and I mean, this is good. Just goes to my point here. Um, if it's too little, too late. I, I agree, especially in the um, in the mature markets, right? Um, Washington, Oregon, but like, Colorado. Question, Rico. Take a look at New York. I mean, pretend that the Dasney. No, 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 just one second. Just one second. One second. One second. One more. Pretend. No, no. You give me. Give me. I want to give you. I want to give you one hypothetical. One hypothetical. No, Rico. Real quick. This will help you. I swear. I swear. This will go to your point. She's offering you an olive branch, Rico. I'm giving you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One second. Pretend. Just hear me out. White woman. Black man. White woman. Together here. <laughs> pretend that the money pretend that the money was there for the social equity program in New York. Pretend that all the money was there. Dasney was working. Yeah. People yeah. were able to get running. I'm asking you a question here, Rico. Let me ask you a question. Pretend mm-hmm. all that shit worked. Pretend it worked. Uh-huh. And New York has not given adult use licenses to the big boys yet, which they're what they're complaining right. about. Do you right. really believe? That folks, if they had everything working, everything in place, would give them the leg up they need in the New York market to really get a foothold and take over when the big boys do get to show up in a few years. We don't know because that didn't happen. So you're talking in hypotheticals. Uh, and, and, and what I'm saying, uh, and, and, and what I'm going to say right now is in mature markets like Oregon, uh, like Washington, uh, like Colorado, 
like that ship has sailed, right? Like, like it, it could have done some good at the beginning and you might have been able to see a better issuance and a, and a better implementation of social equity in places like California, uh, places uh, uh, like Nevada, places, uh, other, other places, but we didn't. And now we have like a piecemeal bullshit, like states rights. And you want to talk about states rights, states rights goes back to slavery, period. States rights is racist, period. Look at look at the like the beginning of states' rights, right? And so, without any kind of federal implementation of social equity, like like what is it? That, that's like not the basis is, of states' rights. Is, number like, one. Um, hold on, hold on. No, let me let me finish this. And so, like in these mature markets like Oregon, that you're coming out here, like oh yeah, it's just a, a box to check at this point. Like, what is the point of that at this point? Like, you have all the white folks that are failing as well. Yes, I agree with you. Yeah. At this point, you should be opening up the market. At this point, that's the only way to move forward. So my question to you and Jason, which mm-hmm. I didn't get an answer to, mm-hmm. is should we be moving the conversation? If you agree that the war on drugs disproportionately hurt black and brown communities, if you agree with all the data that has been released, if you agree with the Nixon tapes that were released that specifically said you're going to be focusing on these communities, how are you going to right those wrongs? I don't. Uh, number one, I, I'm not going down the road of reparations because I don't think it's my job. I don't think it's my job to fix hundreds of years of slavery and race issues in this country. I'm sorry, Rico. I'm not the person to fix those issues. It's not issues. your job. It is, it it is, is, it is the government's job. My, and then the government, the if they are going is, to right the wrongs, when you like complain they said, about a state like Oregon who had you needed a nickel to get a license in Oregon. I don't think Oregon is the best state to be making the argument for they needed to have social equity for minorities to get ahead. I'm sorry. That's not a state. That's to be not put my in. question. And that's not where I was taking I, the conversation. Well, taking you want to take it was, down as I'm a racist white chick because I don't believe in this shit. I'm no, sorry. No, I don't believe in reparations. I don't believe you should have to pay for any of this. I'm sorry. I don't believe in reparations. You want me to say it out loud? I'll say it again. Reparations. I don't believe in. I don't believe so it I, is so my job to pay. No, yes. I don't have a solution. Why the hell would I have a solution? What do I look like? Well, I mean, you partially do. What you're saying is that you believe that we should open up the market for all licenses and that there shouldn't be a cap. So that's solution number one. But as far as social equity is concerned, whatever the qualifying criteria is, the only thing that I think would be workable at this point to make social equity actually equitable is to waive those barriers to entry, right? Give a certain you know number of years that you don't have to pay a licensing fee or a renewal fee, make taxes something that those businesses don't have to deal with for a certain amount of time. Like these are actionable, very, very actionable ways. I think to they are elections. terrible ideas. I think when you are setting aside, and Dale, you can jump in anywhere here. If you're setting aside a specific class here to get these certain provisions and carve-outs, it's not going to work. People are going to sue. It is not constitutional. You can't do it this way. Well, and let me jump in here and just give you the, the real problems you face. Since the Bakke decision back in the late 70s, early 80s, you now have to bring forth and prove that there's been actual discrimination in this particular area before. And that's a burden that the black and brown communities have a very difficult time um, meeting. It's just difficult. There's a lot of this that happens, we all know it, but go back and prove specific cases so that you can now get an exemption from the 14th Amendment equal protection that is coming. 
And that's the argument, Rico. And as much as I don't like the argument, I see it happening. And what I see our Supreme Court doing right now, including Clarence Thomas, is that they're going to back all this um, racial equity shit way, way back up and make it go down an equal protection lane where there mm -hmm. is little to no protection for historical um, black and brown treatment. It's just not there. And as much as I dislike it, that's an avenue that the courts are probably going to make very difficult to get this done with. OK, so there's got to be another path to this. And what I've seen in social equity and I've represented these people before is that they're offered dimes, but not the dollars. The dimes will give you some money here and there. But the long term uh, wealth gain is not there for people of color to get these. They get shoehorned in a big company, picks them clean. And then when they're done with them, off they go. OK, that doesn't help people at all. There's got to be more thought put into the legal ramifications of this so the program will actually survive the challenges that are coming when you try to, um, and, and not that I like the term, but you're discriminating against other people so that someone of color gets something they don't get. And now yeah. it becomes a mess it never should have become. Right. It's not really people of color. I mean, we're talking about people who have been wrongfully incarcerated that have gotten out or still haven't gotten out yet. Yep. Yeah. Yep, and, uh, and, this, and this is what I'm getting to is reparations is the only way to silence this argument and to get it back to economics and off of the whole racial thing. If you have a certain class of people who are, you know, uh, uh, trying to be like, oh, yeah, this is our only shot at anything close to reparations. I'm like, no, it's not. This is not reparations. There's plenty of white folks that were affected negatively by the war on drugs. And there's plenty of white folks that are in the industry right now that were or were not affected by that. They're all suffering and, and nobody's making money. So if, if you want to uh, keep that conversation going, if you want to keep the conversation focused on you repairing or you, you know, restoring uh, the rights or, or the opportunities for these folks to participate in something economic, like we need to stop focusing on cannabis and start talking about actual reparations and actually getting money into the dollars of these folks so they can succeed or they can fail on their own and not blame the system. Rico, if, if you're interested in getting money into the hands of the people who need it, then this needs to be an economic argument and not a, a skin color argument. This needs is to. That not just what I just said? No, I'm suggesting no social equity. You want things. I just said that. That's not what you're saying. I'm saying if you. It I'm is saying, what I just said. Ever, all of these programs, Rico. You no social equity. Nowhere, nothing of it. This should be based off of your income. This should be based off of. That's the way you get around any of the legal issues when you're trying to single out a certain class over another. If you were saying that people under $100,000 a year get this carve out, that's how you get around these problems. It needs to stop being about race. It needs to start being about the economic standing if you want these things to really help the businesses that need it. And on that pretty note, sure I said it's, I'm pretty sure I said it wasn't about race. It should be about economics. And 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 on that note, we're going to keep it moving. Okay, it's that halftime moment, everybody. Yeah, make sure that you head over to our website www.highatnightnews.com. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter. And when you do sign up for our newsletter, you will get a confirmation email, and it may go into your spam box. But make sure that you hit the confirm button on that, so then that way you will actually be subscribed. Uh, also, too. Make sure that you head over to our website again, too, and check out all of our lovely merchandise. And you, too, can be as fly as us with some high at nine merch. 
Uh, also, make sure you hit that like button, hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. And if you want to offer us some reparations, make your chat a super chat if you really want us to pay attention to you in the chat. Run the ad, Adam. Control Tower from Highly Educated has perfected the dab. Utilizing the concept of thin film evaporation, you can waste none of it and taste all of it. The micro texture of the SE pillar increases nucleation at elevated temperatures. And with the tower propelling at 2600 RPMs, it's certainly the most efficient dab experience to date. The Control Tower from Highly Educated. Oh yeah, y'all know who is is coming to the stage next is everybody's favorite foul mouth, foul mouth uncle coming straight. Uh, the guy who did plenty of time for a service to the people. He's getting people cancer meds, but he's uh, now bringing justice to those same people that are fighting the good fight. My good man himself, Dale Schaefer. Uh, good morning, everybody. My story today comes out of Law 360. The headline, California County gets homeowners pot fines suit tossed. And as I was reading this last night, the order from the judge is over 50 pages long. And so I'm thinking, shit, this is a, uh, a college. This is a law school class on federal civil procedure. And then as I got through it, I thought, no, this is a... Uh, a lesson in how to be a whiny bitch going into federal court and getting the crap slapped out of you. Um, sort of what I've been watching uh, Trump do for a long time is going to court and be a whiny bitch and getting the crap slapped out of him. And so what this is called Thomas versus the County of Humboldt. Okay. And it turns out that surprise, surprise back after the summer of love in 67, um, the plaintiffs put into their complaint for decades, the County has attracted off the grid homesteaders, hippies and other counterculture and anti-government types as a likely result the county's geographical economic and political makeup humboldt has scarcely enforced its building codes as thousands of residents built homes and accessory structures and graded land without obtaining permit okay so it turns out that these plaintiffs bought some property that stevie wonder could see had code violations everywhere and had been growing weed so very soon after they moved in, code enforcement starts showing up going, hey, our satellite imaging says there's been weed growing here. OK, you guys get the greenhouses, you got buildings where there's, you know, literally wires coming in from outside. There's no water going in these things. You got to clean it up. They got crap stacked along stream beds. OK, and these people, um, they, they didn't like that. Because as you just said, well, we have a history of the hippies coming up here. No one enforced code. Yeah, we'll grow up because they're enforcing it now. And after California uh, passed the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, it seems that Humboldt County decided we're gonna start passing coding ordinance, code ordinances here. We're gonna empower code enforcement to not just look for illegal weed. When we show up, you know, you can't have a, a bus out there where people are living in. It just don't work that way, okay? You've gotta comply with code. So these people got a little upset. So they filed, uh, a class action. I don't know how many people are supposed to be part of this class, but the people who showed up to represent the class, when all was said and done, the judge said, there's, you're all hat and no cattle. There's no facts here to support this. They complained that, oh, this system, it puts a gun to our head and threatens us with huge fines. 
well, no one's been fined. So, okay, uh, what are we going to do? We're going to give you standing to go in and complain about an excessive fine that you've never paid or never been imposed against you. Oh, they took satellite pictures and we were growing. Someone was going weed up here before we on the property. They show up and find code violations. Well, that's a violation of our due process rights. No, there's code violations there. You have a hearing. Go have a hearing. If you don't like the results of the hearing, go to court and try to fight it. And this federal judge, he was he was not going to have any of this crap. The defendants who I know, the, the attorneys for the defense who I know well, because I got a case against them next month in Calaveras County here. They, they asked the judge, take a look at all the evidence we have of our attempts to negotiate with these people and settle these disputes and all this kind of stuff. And now they're, again, whiny little bitches. OK, the court took recognition of all this evidence and said, well, the evidence is that you guys bought this crappy property. You had all these opportunities to fix it. One person got a permit and settled his case. And he's still part of this action. And the court just said, we're, we're done with this. No, you don't have the facts to support this. You're just being whiny. And I'm throwing everything out. So my lesson from this for everybody is that if you don't have the goods to support your case, the last place you want to be on a cannabis beef is in federal court. That's incredibly stupid. They hate weed up there. And this was the, the Northern District of California. And this is a magistrate judge, just so you understand the hierarchy. Magistrate had the, took the hearing. He issued the order. His boss, the district court judge, will have a chance to sign off on it. They can go to the Ninth Circuit and appeal this. But I don't think they're going very far because, again, this is all hat and no cattle. They're just whining that they don't want to have to fix their buildings that are not up to code or live by any of the rules that now, you know, no one ever forced us to do this before. So it's not fair. Yeah, right. Grow up. This is a new era. And let's move on. So that's what I have to say. What do you guys think? <clears throat> I totally agree with you, Dale. I mean, yeah. you can't you can't just house your trimmers in a bus. Yeah, it was incredible. <laughs> you know, <laughs> somebody dug a tunnel between greenhouses. Oh, I'm sure they were. No yeah. And they were putting all kinds of crap along the stream beds. Well, if you don't know about California's Environmental Quality Act up here, you got to stay way back away from streams up in those parts of the mm -hmm. world. And they were just it, it was just it was crazy. It was stupid, actually to take this to court so you're saying keep your streams away from our stream dale well what i'm saying is you're going to be in this industry there are a few rules that apply and if you're a consistent non-agreeable non-rule follower maybe you should stay out of this business you know some people build bridges other build others build walls and the rest they dig tunnels oh boy i see what you did there Rick. <laughs> There's a way to get into it. Yeah, we have one more ad. We're going to go to our ad real quick. We're going to be right back. Thank you so much for that, Dale. Yes. How's it going, guys? Saman Razani coming to you from Green Street here with Jason Beck smoking on the best weed in the world. Did you know that we have an audio-only version of our podcast available on Apple, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio, and Spotify? Tune in now and check it out. Bite them, bite them, get, get Salem, go get Salem. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. Coming up next. That's right. We got our very own Carmen Sacramento. She's the mom who loves to show the world how being an edibles emerald cup judge 
and an executive lifestyle and mothering too all goes hand in hand. That's right. It is Carmen Sacramento, our very own Mandy Tingler. Good morning and happy hump day to everybody. Today's headline comes to us from the LA Times. The headline reads, LA dispensaries openly sell magic mushrooms as state ways decriminalization. The cannabis dispensary in a rundown shopping center in coastal Los Angeles County offers a standard fare, pre-rolled joints, vape pens, a wider range of edibles, and a selection of smoking accessories. But there's one extra class of items that distinguishes the storefront on the county's suburban fringe. A glass case displays, quote, magic mushrooms and a variety of items containing psilocybin, the compound that provides said magic to those who consume it. A compound that is still illegal statewide. As the state legislator considers a bill to decriminalize several psychedelics, including psilocybin, some L.A. area businesses are openly selling the potent hallucinogen. Although cannabis is legal statewide, no Southern California municipality or county has followed the lead of Oakland, San Francisco, and Santa Cruz by decriminalizing magic mushrooms. Yet there's a thriving market for the fungi and the psychedelics in L.A. Entrepreneurs have long taken advantage of the relative, relative scarcity and high demand by selling them illegally in gleaming storefronts and also in parking lots. The L.A. County Sheriff Department served about 50 search warrants at dispensaries selling magic mushrooms in the last six months alone. Meanwhile, there are growing support for legalizing decriminalization or decriminalizing psilocybin and other hallucinogens among psychologists, researchers, veteran, veteran advocates, and those who have witnessed mental health turnarounds after psychedelic treatment. As evidence of their therapeutic benefits grows and states, including Oregon and Colorado, legalize or decriminalize magic mushrooms, some Democrats in Sacramento are pushing to make a similar change in California. Senate Bill 58, currently wending its way through legislature, aims to eliminate criminal penalties for possessing, growing, and sharing small amounts of several psychedelic substances, including psilocybin, ibogaine, and DMT. Senator Scott Weiner, who's a Democrat out of San Francisco, introduced a, pr- a previous version of the bill last year. It was approved by the state Senate, but he said it was gutted by the state's Assembly Public Safety Committee and never made it to the Assembly floor. So Weiner enters of the bill with the law, law enforcement stakeholders and others to address concerns about it, including by removing some of the synthetic substances, including LSD and MDMA, from the list of drugs to be decriminalized. Weiner introduced the updated version of the legislation in December. It would not legalize psychedelics, but there would be still, and there still would be penalties for their sale. The bill is now headed to the Senate floor. If approved, it will go to the Assembly, where Weiner said it's not guaranteed to pass, but we have a path to passing the, the, the new version of this legislation. The bill is very simple. It decriminalizes possession or use of certain psychedelics. It doesn't make any sense to arrest people for possessing psychedelics. Weiner says these substances are not addictive and they really help a lot of people with mental health and addiction challenges. Now, folks, the rest of the article goes on to give numerous examples 
of different dispensaries throughout the country, actually. A lot of them in LA, but not exclusively. We're looking at other places all over that are actually doing the same thing. They're carrying small inventory of psychedelic medications in dispensaries, whether they're legal or not, and people are asking for them. You guys, there's been a lot of topic discussion about this. And so this is just one more time that we're here talking about plant medicine. And honestly, I'm sure that these dispensaries that are licensed are not doing this. These are definitely, well, hopefully unlicensed retail shops. But at the end of the day, I truly believe that dispensaries are the most qualified individuals to be uh, carrying this product and teaching the general public about them as well. So this is Mandy or Carmen Sacramento at Hyatt Nine News. Happy Wednesday. What do you guys think about this? Did they name any of those dispensaries? They didn't name names. They just said location. I mean, well, it, you know, these this are- is a, an example of the problem we faced with cannabis for years. The authority over these drugs is split from the federal to the states, and local authorities don't have any power to change the state laws over um, psychedelics. But what they can do is tell their chief of police or not fund them to go out and, and um, raid them and cause some problems. So it, it's sort of a backdoor to legalization. Uh, and we're really gonna face that same problem of trying to get the funding for veteran studies, things like that. I represent disabled vets and it helps them tremendously, these psychedelics do. So getting the, the um, evidence to back up, um, going to a legislature and proving this is not a addictive harmful substance is the next part of this. I don't know if we're gonna get through these legislatures There's still enough people that think this is like uh, depleted uranium along with weed. They don't want to participate in this or support it. So this is still going to be an ongoing process. We're going to see people continue to be harassed, go to jail until we can finally figure out that making things illegal is stupid. When people want to do it, they're going to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And at the end of the day, we just need accessibility. People want this stuff. They feel like it's helping them and why we keep putting roadblocks between things that help people and accessibility is beyond me. Are we going to soon have our Delta 8 moment in the psychedelics realm? Oh, it's already started. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. I have clients that come to me now about this and trying to advise them is difficult because I can go to go only go so far because this is against federal law. I can't advise them to do it. Trying to help them set this up to protect themselves is a delicate dance like we had before California state law allowed us to write contracts for cannabis, things like that. So it, it's, it's going to be difficult for a minute here. That's for sure. Go ahead, Rico. What was it? What was it? I like mushrooms. <laughs> just say I, I like mushrooms i like psychedelics and uh, i want to be able to if they're going to be coming through dispensaries if they're going to decriminalize them and all that stuff like they're not i want to get safe space these these uh the, these mushrooms were not on metric that is just totally ridiculous this was a total trap shop okay there's absolutely zero what category is that right that are permitted like dispensaries and they're selling mushrooms. Okay. So I just want to make sure that everyone understands that. That a clear way to know whether or not you're in a trap shop or not is whether or not you see mushrooms on display. How are you how are you gonna tag uh, uh tag spores? Tag spores? You're gonna tag you each can. spore. And see that's the problem, guys, is anybody can grow mushrooms. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to do this. And 
back when I was studying criminal justice, back when dinosaurs roamed, if 10% of your population doesn't support some, some sort of a prohibition, you can't enforce it. You have this discriminatory, disparate treatment when you go after people. And we're going down the same stupid rabbit hole we went down with weed. Just stop it. Right. You know, that's what we're going to face here. If you're going to regulate it, regulate it. If you're not, don't. Regulate <laughs> yourself. More rules equal more loopholes and uh, more trapping. Yeah, I, w- I will <laughs> say, though, it is it is semi-difficult to, to cultivate mushrooms. I mean, you have to have some, like, super, super sterile environments in order to inhibit that type of growth. They also, I do think you have to be a semi-rocket scientist in order to grow. You can't just be, like, a homeless transient and grow mushrooms like you could just grow weed and just throw no, it in the water. Don't, but will you, would you not say that the best mushrooms um, uh, are grown naturally? Out in the wilderness, yeah, on a pile of cow shit in the pasture. How about yeah. that? Uh, so, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, uh, I don't think so. I don't, I, I don't think so. I think the best mushrooms are grown indoors in perfect environments. Well, that's the best. Okay, <laughs> some homeless person could have some cow shit behind their tent and have mushrooms grow there, and they might be okay for them. You want to grow it really that's, high quality? That's a different story. But this stuff will grow all by itself. No one has to touch it. And it'll still, you know, have its effect on you. Mm-hmm. So, Jason, what you're saying is uh, all outdoor mushrooms naturally grown are boof. I mean, they could they, they could be. They probably don't get you as as high as the ones that are from indoor. Or they'll kill you. Oh, they could. Can you imagine our ancestors ate a mushroom and dropped dead and go, well, Harv, that's not a good one to eat. Let's try another one. Okay. Because yep. that shit will kill you. Be careful out there. Oh, that looks like a great mushroom. Let's fry it in some butter. No, mm-hmm. I wouldn't recommend you do that unless you know what you're talking about. That is shit, Aki. Yeah, um, <laughs> I have. I have one. One. One last headline. I'm just going to read this headline. We're, 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 we are at time. But Governor Kotek, who is the governor in Oregon, knew of Fargon's cannabis contract before the OLCC audit was even released. Make sure you head over to Hyatt 9 News website and check out this story because the governor knew that the consultant already was in cahoots prior to the, the oh, man, oh, man. You guys are going to have to read it for yourself. You're going to love it. Love it, love it, love it, love it. We're going to keep on going here, man. Thank you all out there joining us for today's episode of High 9 News. You can always catch us weekdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, high noon on the East Coast. Big shout out to our super fans showing love and getting their comments projected live on the big screen. Also to the live audience members and online supporters catching us across all media platforms, tuning in and giving us feedback on the daily headlines. Our vetted correspondent team tuning in from all over, bringing us much needed variety perspective and your respected opinions to the, uh, the table as well. Our production team, Cloud Media Partners, House of Fuego, go all our sponsors helping us keep the lights on here and keep the train rolling jaja simone holding things down over in clubhouse keeping our av struggles to a minimum and to the haters out there keep typing and we're gonna keep on spitting facts Uh, and always cannabis sativa l the reason we show up every single day to read these headlines it is wednesday may 17th 2023 the show is over you've all been blessed with the top industry headlines of the day. We hope it was enough for you to put in your pipe and smoke at least until tomorrow. I'm Rico Lamit, the dopest dad on the street. And I would like to um, divert attention to Dale Schaefer. Everybody's f- favorite foul mouth uncle. You got the outro today, man. What you got for these people? Got a good message? Um, well, the best course in life is to pull your head out of your ass and open your eyes and keep going. There you go. My chip for the day.
Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm.